Ace of Wands, birth, energy, inspiration, sexuality, self-image. When this card appears, look for a new opportunity. The Ace of Wands is a seed to be nurtured. This is a new bright idea, a burst of creative energy, a source of inspiration. Excitement, enthusiasm, and energy for something new. Oh no, I fucking pressed the thing. I'll say it again. Excitement, enthusiasm, and energy for something new are available when the Ace of Wands appears in a spread. Now is your chance to be courageous. This card can also indicate new life, conception, or birth, both literally and metaphorically. Ooh. Is there anything about that that, uh, that rings true or feels you know, that I can make some kind of causal link to this show with you, Mars? Um, just released an album today. So that's like birth, giving birth to something, potentially. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I need to start the show. <laughs> Welcome to Bucky Tarot Lady, episode 25. My guest today is Miles Brown. Thanks so much for having us in your lovely home to my- do this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. Um, we're surrounded by some really cool stuff here, listeners. There's, well, for starters, there's a giant theremin sitting right there. Is this the theremin? This is the theremin. Now, uh, this is an exciting time because you've released your new album on the same, is it the same day as the 100th anniversary of the theremin? Is that right? Uh, it's not the same day, but it's the, this is the 100th year. Oh, the 100th year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. so it was invented in 1920. That's yeah. crazy. So this, the whole year is the anniversary. <laughs> so you could release an album any time this year and it would be fine exactly it's like having a birth week you know <laughs> except it's a 12 month week <laughs> cool now for listeners who may not know what a theremin is can you give us a rundown of like okay who invented it in 1920 and why is it so special uh so the theremin was invented by leon theremin it's named after him but it's an anglicization of his surname his name's Lev Sergevich Termen. I think that that's, that's, you know, my Russian pronunciation ain't good. But uh, he was uh, from Moscow and he's a radio scientist and working on uh, radio circuits and uh, accidentally discovered that when he moved his hand near this radio circuit that he was working on, one of the noises that it was making changed. And he discovered that he could, he thought, oh, this is musical. And he was a cello player. So he spent some time uh, and developed it into a musical instrument and then showed it to his superiors who uh, showed it to Lennon, who was the, you know, the big the, the kahuna, uh, who, <laughs> who sent him around Europe and then around the world as a um, demonstrating Soviet um, ingenuity and electrical wizardry. Um, so he went all around Europe and then to America in the 20s, um, 30s. But he was also spying for the Russians at the same time. No way. So he's a very interesting guy. There's a Netflix series in that for sure. Like yeah. I've, there's so many of that kind of, you know, guy goes to thing with a place and then it turns out there's an ulterior motive, you know, like sure. it works. And then you throw a theremin in the mix as well. That's right. It's got a soundtrack built in. That's amazing. So... Um, I'm assuming it was quite primitive back then. What's changed in like a hundred years from like a theremin that I'm looking at now? This looks mm. really fancy. Well, yeah, it's got a wood finish. It's got a wood. Fi- they've, they've always been made of wood because the theremin needs uh, the metal parts of it are the sensitive parts. So you you make the rest of it out of a wood, so it's sort of shielded, and you can touch those bits, and it doesn't change the uh, oh. the relationship. Um, 
obviously in the old days they were made with valves these days they're solid state things um but basically the workings of it are the same so it's actually quite a simple electrical circuit uh to build you can build a theremin from a kit from dick smith but to make one that's playable and tunable and musical that's very difficult so there's only really this these moog ones these moog etherwave pro uh and maybe a couple of other um there's a tvox tour which is a russian um theremin um those ones are kind of the main ones you can play classical music on wow and then there's a whole bunch of other ones which are great but maybe not for classical music so when you say not for classical music what are they used for more like dance music electronic music because it has that sound or? no i mean i mean just not not really stable instruments so like they they more for noises making noises with which is fun actually you know it's really fun to make noises on the theremin and um uh, but yeah, there's only a couple of brands that are really, really professional grade. Mm. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about your history with the theremin. Like it's a, it's a, like it's a strange instrument. Instrument, and it's funny that you, like, I don't know anyone else that plays the theremin. <laughs> like, how did you get your hands on one and become known as Miles Brown, who plays the theremin? Because that's what everyone is obviously tuning into this podcast for. I assume we'll get straight, yeah. that straight out of the way first. Um. Uh, I actually found out about the theremin from my dad uh, when I was about 17. I was uh, listening to lots of industrial music and ministry and uh, getting into the synthesizer through listening to that style of music. And I was, uh, you know, and also my dad had been really uh, a huge fan of prog rock and um, Yes and um, Rick Wakeman uh, used a lot of Moog synths. So there's a, and the cars, there's a lot of Moog synths in my, in my family's listening uh you know, playlists. And um, so I came home one day from school and I was like, oh, I've heard about uh, analog synthesizers. I think I'm going to like get into that. And my dad was like, oh, well, there was an instrument that came before the analog synthesizer called the theremin and it's really cool. You play it without touching. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow. And so we got on the internet and this was like 1996. So the internet was like eight people and you had to wait for a couple of days for an MP3 to download. And there was one MP3 on the internet of a theremin being played. Um, so we, you know, left it for a couple of days and the thing downloaded <laughs> and it was Clara Rockmore, who's, who I have a picture of there, um, the greatest thereminist of all time, um, who was um, Leon Theremin's, you know, uh, the muse that Leon Theremin designed the instrument for um, back in the 20s, 30s. So she was Russian as well? She is from Lithuania, I think. Let me just, we might have to check that. That's okay. It's remember where everything from. on a podcast, when you say it, it's fine. Like once it goes out to the ether, people know if it's wrong, it's not wrong. Whatever they can do their own research. You know? like, <laughs> cool. No editing. We're trapped in this bubble now. No we editing. can't fact check things, you know. I'm pretty sure she's Lithuanian. Anyway, I'll look that up later. She um, was the muse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, so I, I heard that and I thought it was really great. And then dad was like, oh, I've got the plans to build a theremin um, from an old 70s science manual because um, my dad's an electrical engineer. Um let's let's build it so he built it and i sort of stood around and brought in cups of tea and said yeah I'm, you know well done and uh, and that's that's it they're sitting i'm pointing now to a, a little piece of wood in a cake tin that's sitting at the back there it looks oh. like a an old russian satellite that fell out of the sky that's my first theremin that my wow. dad and i built it's made out of a cake tin and a piece of wood and two bits of um, sheet metal Holy um, shit, that's amazing. Yeah. So I used that uh, on stage for uh, with my first band, Puppy Fat, which was a sort of grunge 
Ooh. almost new metal band. Yeah, this is so funny. When we had Dave Haley on the show uh, a little while back, I think we mentioned, I don't know, how, it must have, it was off uh, off air after the show. And he mentioned, we mentioned, I was like, yeah, he's from Tassie as well. He used to play in a band. And I was like, oh, wow. I, yeah. it was, it, I just thought you might have materialized like <laughs> out of a coffin or something. And then, no. but instead you just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a previous life as a, as an elongated member of Hanson, which is what I used to look like in the, in that in those years. If you can imagine that, um, yeah. So I had the, this this band, and I had this theremin that I would you know play in a couple of songs, just you know like instead of a guitar solo or something, because I was playing bass guitar. Right. Um, and um, yeah, I just sort of got more into it, and my friend had a um, my friend got. Um, I got given uh, Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson for Christmas and I was like, I don't really like this record. And, and he, and my friend was like, he had the Ed Wood soundtrack, the Tim Burton soundtrack, and it was all theremin. And so I swapped him um, for that, with that. Um, and that was my first theremin record. Wow. Um, and the, play, uh, the thereminist on that record was Lydia Kavanagh, who is um, Leon Theremin's grandniece, once removed. Not sure about that either. But she's all, but she's a part of the theremin yeah. legacy. Yeah. Oh God, I'm, I actually have, I could just look this up. But anyway, she's she's a family. She's related to um, Leon Theremin and, and and lived in an apartment um, with him and his uh, in apartment building with him uh, in her family when she was a kid. And so uh, Lydia was taught by Leon Theremin to play the theremin when she was a child. Wow. Um, and in the 80s and 90s she was one of the only she was the only um, professional thereminist who was performing um, because Clara Rockmore um, had retired because her theremin was not working properly um, yeah so Lydia is like the person that every all thereminists now have learnt from in some way like she's taught people who've taught people and I went and studied with her um, uh, in 2009 wow. Um did a, like a three-month mentorship with her over in Oxford. So she, I learned from her and she learned from Leon Theremin, the inventor. Wow. So you were at Oxford for three months or like was it off campus or were you there? Like, Oh, it wasn't at the uni. She just lives there. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it was just that happened to be where she lived. So, uh, but it was literally going to Harry Potter land to learn magic. Yeah. But, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> so like, what was a, a standard day of training like in these three months? Like, was it like, was there a boot camp style thing or was it just like? Yeah. Um, look, it, 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 back then I was um, uh, having a much more of a uh, wild life and I uh, got over, went to Lydia's house, very nervous, walking up the stairs to her house, thinking about that Edward CD that I had, the first theremin record that I ever had. I'm like, I'm about to meet this person. She was absolutely delightful. And she said, you know, play a bit for me. Um, and so I played a bit and she's like, yeah, well, you need to basically stop drinking and you need to like, you, you, you're, you, you can play a theremin, but you're, you're basically your attention is terrible. Like you can't, you're, you can't maintain the attention that you need. And I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> she was right, by the way. <laughs> Um, I feel like because it's all about the hand movement, right? If you're a little bit shaky after a night of drinking, that would be really difficult to play theremin. I yeah, you just need to be able to be calm. And oh. and if you're, you know, as I was at the time, having a delightful time in all manner of directions, like, you, you know, you're just not a calm person. And um, yeah, so it was a, uh, we, I was there for three months and um, she got me to learn all this classical music, which I hadn't really ever learnt before. Um, and... Um, 
it was, you know, basically I did nothing else but just practice and go go around to her place and play and then she'd give me more notes and um, it was really intense for me being a rock musician, you know, not and never studied music at all. Oh, right. Um, right. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into this puppy fat story, <laughs> this elongated, handsome version of Miles Brown. Like, so you're, you grew up in Tassie mm-hmm. and then what was your first kind of... Uh, introduction to music that you were into like what made you want to pick up a bass was that your first instrument yeah um uh i my family had li- been living over in overseas in saudi arabia and we came back to uh to hobart and um there was a school band and the uh the guy the kid who played the bass had just been expelled <laughs> and so everyone had an instrument and every most people were playing horns or something very unhappily and i was like can I play that bass? And they were like, yeah, that guy, that guy just died. Yeah, you can, you can totally <laughs> play that. So I was very lucky. And um, uh, yeah, I suppose what music, but, well, literally like the week after I found out that I was able to play bass, I got this bass guitar at home. And my uncle Stephen, who may be listening to this podcast, said to me, okay, if you can play the bass solo on um, NIB from the first Black Sabbath album, then we'll know you're a serious, uh, serious at, the, at at playing playing this instrument. And I learned it in a week, so I I, I had a natural ability to play bass. So that's how I got into wow. playing. Wow! How did you back in those days? Was like a tab book, or was no? Was, you just gave me the tape. Whoa! <laughs> I had already learned Buster Move by um, oh Young uh, MC Young MC <laughs> from from watching um, what was it Video Smash Hits. Yeah. Oh my god! So, and you just feel you just felt it out, like yeah. Look, it's you know there are very few things in life that that people are naturally good at. I just was able to do that, and um, yeah, bass guitar is really my first uh, instrument. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you've gone from Buster Move <laughs> to NIB. Yeah. You, it's a quick, it's a quick, like rapid kind of thrust into the world of you know heavier music or kind of you know scary gothy kind of music yeah. where was that kind of seed for you because you're giving away antichrist superstar you know, like, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm worried about your goth cred now yeah <laughs> oh that's late goth um <laughs> um where did that come from mm. um hard to say like the, fir- the first music i really liked was um Nena Cherry Buffalo Stance, which is synth music, you know, like, and the B-52s and... Mal's getting very excited yeah. in the corner <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that's, that's kind of my first, my first music that I got into. And then Guns N' Roses very heavily. I kind of went through a bunch of fads, straight into Metallica, very big, long Metallica phase, um, Alice in Chains. So I'm sort of coming in through that way. And then minis- discovered Ministry about that time. And then I'm off in that direction. Then really. you went full like industrial. Yeah. Because I think it's tricky with Ministry. Like I've tried to access that before because I'm a big Nine Inch Nails fan. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, you should listen to Ministry. I'm like, but where do you start? Because it's a giant kind of catalogue of albums. Like, mm. Where did you start? And if I was going to get into Ministry or the listeners, what yeah. should they start first? Uh, the Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, which is, uh, oh God, I'm not sure what year it is, but... It, mid 90s early 90s um just before they did the big record psalm 69 um so that's when they're just very electronic very very aggressive use of samplers and basically playing like a machine one of the first bands to try and play like a machine yeah um uh, i don't know ministry is still my favorite band like of all time and and I, even though I haven't really been into the, what they've done for a long time in terms of recent records, but just, you know, they're political band and um, really kind of provocative and antagonistic. And I've recently realized that's probably my thing too. 
<laughs> Unknowingly, they planted that seed yeah. in you from the get-go. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, so you, you picked up a bass in school band. Mm-hmm. How do you get to like uh, playing, in a, playing in Puppy Fat? Uh, from school band. So, so with my school band mates. Yeah. So sick. Puppy Fat was me and um, a guy called Mike Noga who played in the drones for a long time. Um, and a guy called Alex Harris. And we just were the, one of the only bands in Hobart at the time. There was, I mean, there was a lot of bands, but um, we were uh, the more of the alternative rock kind of thing. Uh, and I should say in Hobart at the time, we were not a cool band. Like <laughs> there were amazingly cool bands in Hobart, like the Sea Scouts, Nation Blue, um, the Little Ugly Girls, all these bands that we completely looked up to, but we were not cool. So uh, we were popular because we did a lot of gigs with the main, with mainland bands like Magic Dirt and um, those kinds of bands. Yeah. Um, I just love that you said mainland bands. Like mainland that's, bands. That's yeah. something that I never, I've never heard that phrase before. But that would, if yeah. you were from Tassie, you'd be like, "Hey, a band's coming from the mainland." Yeah. And everybody in Hobart, we were like fucking mainland. We were like mainland thinks it's so cool. And we just, you know, you grow up in Hobart, you think that Hobart's the center of the universe. Yeah. And and uh, it was great for us. There was no record labels in Hobart. So we got to play with all the bands that were really big, um, but we were under no pressure to uh, sell out or sell anything. And <laughs> and so we there a lot of incredible music happened because we were just trying to impress each other. And I think that is a huge, probably the biggest factor in where things ended up going for me because I was like, this is what the world should be like. And of course, Melbourne is not like that, really. A lot of great bands come to Melbourne and get sort of buried. watered down or buried. <laughs> or yeah, they can't, you know, it's different. We, were, we, were, we, would, we would ring up the venue and say, can we play a gig on Saturday, on Thursday? He'd be like, sure. And we'd turn up and there'd be a full house. Like, wow. it's a different, t- different vibe. <laughs> and so, and when did the theremin get brought into like was that playing? Were you playing the theremin in Puppy Fat every yeah, once in a while? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So your dad had already built it, or yeah, that was during Puppy Fat that we that we built the theremin, and it was straight into the set straight away, and it was there from that point on. How did the band dudes feel about you going? Hey, I've got this thing that my dad made. It, it's you don't you don't touch <laughs> it. You just kind of hover. Your, it's gonna yeah. sound sweet. Like, did you play it for them first, or like did you jam with? I them? had to. I had to sell it to them, but I mean. <laughs> My dad was very involved in that band. Like he used to drive us to rehearsals and drive us to recording and come to the gigs and poor, poor, all of our parents did stand there and watch us, you know. As all you know. parents of 16-year-olds, yeah. 17-year-old musicians yeah. have to do. So, yeah, no, it was just a, just a thing. And I think also it was a point of difference. We had some, we had a, a weird gimmicky thing, you know. <laughs> and you've ridden that gimmick to yeah, success, Miles. Right. Into the ground. <laughs> so you do that for a bit. And you're like, so you're still a teenager. And mm. then at what point do you move to the mainland? We're, Puppy Fat moved to the mainland to, to the big smoke to make it big. Wow. And we, we got a house in Carlton and smoked bongs and did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then went back and played in Hobart and like conquering heroes, but we had done nothing. Yeah. That, sorry, anyone in Hobart who fell for that, but we were just not. I was at uni, I was, um, but my bandmates weren't. They were studying the bottom of that purple bong. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then you just said one of them ended up playing in the drones for a while. So that yep. must have that's gone. That's gone all right. You know that. Yeah, that, that led to good things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we we landed in um, North Fitzroy and we lived right next to the Empress, which was a really big band venue back then. And um, Mike started working there, 
and um, we met lots of people. And, you know, we did actually get Puppy Fat sort of seriously going. I had a manager at one point, but then we were just kind of too flaky in Hobart. And I think we got offered some massive support. And then one of the other guys wanted to go to his mate's 18th and called the gig off. And the band sort of just petered out. So then I was I had no band for a while, which was which was new for me because I'd been in a band since I was, you know, 12. Wow. Yeah. So, wait, what are the bands that you're in when you were 12? Well, permutations of puppy fat. So we were just a rotating lineup of the similar people and coming in and out, other people that we went to school with. Wow. Yeah, we had a lot of terrible names. LSD, filth. We were called Facelift for a while. Alice Chains reference for those listening, <laughs> paying attention at home. Um, yeah. Wow. Holy shit. That's amazing. All right. So <laughs> is this the point where you're like, I've got to get serious. I've got to go find the lineage of the theremin and I'm going to learn how to do it. Or how did that happen? Pretty much. Like I, um, what happened? Uh, we, Puppy Fat broke up and then I was at art school and, um, you know, studying art and, start, and discovering about sound art and I suppose moving in more of an arty circle. And all, uh, another friend of mine, Tim Piconi, who um, was also from Hobart and Yanto Kelly, the two guys that started the Night Terrors with me, um, we were all Hobart people. So we were hanging out in Melbourne and going to see music. And I think we just decided to get together and have a play with no plan um, about what it would be. And it just, it was prog rock immediately because of Tim's amazing keyboard playing. And Yanto had played in a band called The Stickmen who were really famous and excellent Hobart band. Um, And yeah, and I had the theremin by that stage, I bought like a a little Moog theremin um, because I was just getting more excited about it. And I think, you know, it was, uh, you know playing bass guitar everybody plays bass guitar and like you know if you really want to become a great bass player and write music on it you're going to end up in primus and it was not a cool thing at that time and um you know i could slap up there with the best of them but uh, no one wanted that you couldn't you couldn't give it away at that time late 90s so um it's a problem that you're yeah um, so I think it was just really accidental and um, uh, I had just, you know, um, got a proper theremin. I was trying to learn how to play it. Um, there was no resources to learn. So I was sort of stubbornly. Yeah, this, is, this is years before YouTube. I'm sure there's probably yeah. some tutorial out there now for someone who yeah. decides to go buy a theremin. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were videos. I've got them sitting there, those those videos, mastering the theremin. Oh and, on VHS yeah, tape, on VHS. ladies and gentlemen, listening. <laughs> And, they, you know, that's Clara Rockmore and Lydia Kavanagh um, playing the theorem and talking about it. But they're just, you know, not the same as someone teaching you. And they, were, they would just, I couldn't quite get my head around what was going on. Mm. Um, so I was trying to sort of learn and, you know, look, the internet's starting to become a bit more, more stuff on the internet. Um, but I was, you know, basically I just learned on stage and I'm very, I want to apologize to anyone who saw me playing theremin on stage in those years. I'm sure it was not pleasant to listen to. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the mechanics of the theremin because uh, I find it fascinating and I didn't know anything about it until Mal told me, filled me in today before I came for this podcast, which is good good research on my <laughs> behalf. Um, and also my best mate Matt was telling me today as well that, so it's like when you make these kind of hand gestures, they're mm-hmm. essentially notes. Is that right? Like, is mm-hmm. that, uh, like, what's a... Like what's a what's a standard move that you would usually do with with your theremin hands? Like so, this is one of the things that I went to study with Lydia to f- discover how do you tune a theremin. Uh, went before I discovered how to tune it, I would turn it on and it, 
the notes would always be in a different spot and I got pretty good at going, okay, it's, 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 it's like this. I don't know why I'm going to try and deal with it. And so I'd become really good at playing out of tune theremin. Um, <laughs> and I knew that it was um, influenced by uh, temperature and humidity. Cause every time we went to play in Brisbane, I would lose half an octave. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I kind of understood, you know, what the electrically, what was happening, um, electromagnetically, what was happening, but um, basically, you've got to tune your theremin every time you walk away from it and come back because it's like playing a guitar that changes shape uh, every time you move away from it. It gets longer, and the fretboard gets longer, and if you get closer, it gets the notes get closer together, and also the relationship is exponential. So, the high notes are, are closer together, and the long notes are further apart. So it's like a yeah, it's like a piano that's on ketamine. <laughs> <laughs> That should be like Moog should get that on the next post for the theremin, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. From what I've heard about ketamine, um, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so the, it, it's a re- it's really the instrument is really your body, which is why my Lydia, my teacher, was saying to me, "You've got to, you know, you've got to uh, calm down and sleep more and eat healthier and be- get fitter." so that you can stand still but also so that you can med- you know go into this meditative state oh, that you right. kind of have to go into so like if you're moving even a tiny bit on stage if you're like a little bit shaky that's going to the, the theremin's going to pick that up as well uh, you can hear breathing so like when you play the theremin you've got to take a deep breath and then hold your breath while you do the notes like uh, uh, and then breathe in the gaps like you would playing a saxophone i was going to say like Tayzonde when he breathes away from the mic to sing Chocolate very Rain. very similar very Holy similar. shit, that's amazing. Yeah, um, which I didn't really, really understand either. So what, that was the thing. But so when you've got it in tune, uh, then you can um, uh, tune it so that you have an octave between your fist, closed fist, and then an open hand. Um, looks like you're yeah, playing you, that game with the. Yeah, um, so you've made a little O with your with your finger and your thumb, and then yeah. the other hands go out kind of to the side, yeah. and that's like you're going to flick someone. So the the idea there is that you can get the maximum range of movement without moving your arms, just your hand rotating and your fingers. Yeah. And so right. you, that's an octave. So you pick a D and then you go up and you've got a high D and then you've got all of the relationships between those two notes without moving your arm, in theory. Um, so that's the that's the thing. And then uh, as you play more and more, you sort of work out other things and. Um, this book here out of playing the theremin by carolina ike which is sitting on my uh, music stand is like the book that shows you how to learn that um is there little drawings of how your hands should look there there is it's on page page three <laughs> do you mind if i take some photos yeah, of it sure or put it in the, yeah, yeah. For the instagram later that'd be yeah. great because mm. that's something that like uh you just released a new video for the mm-hmm. for the album that's just out speaking in tongues mm-hmm. and i noticed that when we we're watching that you're like oh yeah there are really specific movements that you are like doing with your hands and i I always just thought you were waving them around. I didn't really yeah. know how it worked. You know, <laughs> I was waving them around for a long time. I mean, and that—that's the thing. Like, once you learn the, the the hand movements, then the the thing that makes you a good theremin player is that it's sort of like driving a car. You don't when you drive a car, you don't go, "Oh my god, I'm going around the corner." Oh my god, oh my god. You you plan it, and then you as you're doing it, you think about the next thing. Same as when you're talking or reading aloud, like that kind of forward thinking thing. You've got to. I don't think when I talk. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, I do, I do. That because... lag thing that you do with reading aloud where you're sort of like doing one thing and reading something else ahead of yourself, like that humans are actually good at that and you need to do that to play the theremin. So you've got to sort of plan in your head where you're going before you get there. Otherwise, it sucks. Ah. 
Fantastic. <laughs> can we can we put another uh, spotlight on this time in Oxford? I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by it, by you just kind of getting yelled at by this. <laughs> Was she tough? Was she a tough teacher? Or very, she- very. And it was awesome. I mean, I definitely needed it. She this was just a- super lovely. Uh, but, but, you know, she's a classical musician. She's super, super classically trained. Um, she's a contemporary music composer. And, um, you know, she's played all the most difficult music that's ever been recorded for the theremin. And I'm wow. some punk from Melbourne who's turned up, you know, probably I appeared to be high at the time. I wasn't. But, you know, that was the, this is the vibe, right? And also I'd, you know, uh, gone to a great effort to come over. And, well, and yeah, how did you organise it to get over there? Like, did you have to send her an email or send her a letter? Yeah, she was, she was doing um, workshops in Europe and, and I saw it on the internet and I contacted her and said, I'd love to come to one of your workshops. Um, can you let me know when they are and I'll try and come over. And I sent her some of my music and, and she was like, you're probably not going to benefit from a workshop because you're already past that point but if you want to come over and i would give you a personal mentorship which i was like oh my god um and so i applied for an australia council grant and i got some money and i went over thanks australia government very nice of them yes but and how many theremin players are there out there in the wild like is there a convention in vegas you all go to or like (laughs) what's the like well i there was it so on that trip i went to a convention with um lydia so i didn't know there was but she said oh there's going to be a theremin uh festival in germany in three months you should come with me and maybe we can perform a piece together i was like oh sure um and so i went to lipstadt in germany um and uh, met all a lot of the bi- the big theremin players in the world were there, um, so it was incredible. Who who are some of the big theremin players? They still kicking around? Yeah, Carolina Ike, who wrote the book. She's yeah. she's one of the best in the world. Um, if and not the best. And she saw you play with. I play. Yeah, I, I, everybody. I mean, there was a concert at the end of it. it basically, it was um, a lot of workshops. where well, you could have one-on-one uh, lessons with people, and then at the end there was a, con- a performance where anyone who wanted to perform could. And I was. The shittest theremin player there, but I had my own uh, a song that I'd written myself, and I was actually one of the only people that had. Oh, whereas everyone um, else was doing compositions that were already written. Most people still, most people play. Um, they're very serious thereminists, uh, classical musicians. Yeah, so they are um, playing repertoire from classical music. So you're just that bad boy who's doing this, like, you know. <laughs> Just well, taking the theremin and, and, and yeah, and I mean the other thing was like everybody there was so smart. Like a lot of the after after we played had the part the big party at the end. No one drank except for me and um, this this amazing theremin player from Switzerland, Coralie Ettinger. Who she and I are still buddies. She's an amazing theremin player um, who does cool stuff with analog synths in the theremin. Um, and we were like, why well, is no one drinking? And it's because they were going to play Mensa games after dinner which is like you know mensa's like this hyper intelligent club yeah and they're playing these crazy mathematical tapping musical games it sounds not fun i'm like maybe we shouldn't drink these beers <laughs> ever again <laughs> um, so it was it was good you know i mean i had it really easy in australia no there was no one else playing really except for roman tucker from rocket science who's a good buddy of mine and and um he's a different kind of theremin player he's more of a crazy john spencer kind of player yeah um so i was like hey australia this is this is how you play the theremin and everyone was like yeah cool and then i went over and was like oh, i'm not going to get away with this over here so i went home you know chastened but also pretty inspired <laughs> <laughs> so that was 2009 you said right mm, yeah 
And the Night Terrors obviously existed before this. Night Terrors started uh, in 99. Wow. It's been around for that long? Yeah, it's the 21st anniversary this year. Wow. <laughs> you can finally be an American person who can drink. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. There's nothing um, really exciting about 21 when you're here in no, Australia, really, is it? No, um, That's incredible. So that started... So when did you move to Ta- uh, from Tassie to Melbourne? What, what moved here that? in 97. And then the Night Terror started in 99. And we put out our first EP in 2001. And then another one in 2002. And then our drummer moved to Paris and we stopped for a while. And then there was this strange a few years where there was lots of different bands that probably shouldn't have been called Night Terrors that were, which was me and whoever I was playing with. Um, uh, changed genres and styles. There was a weird jazzy period and um, very. it was always prog rock-esque. Um, and then into around 2006, 2007, Yanto came back from Paris and we started being serious about it again. And... Um, and yeah, and that's when it sort of developed into what was on the first long playing record. Yeah, right. Because that's kind of when I feel like you came on the radar for me at that time. Mm. But I had no idea it was going for that long beforehand. Is there like a Discogs? Are people going crazy for like some of that old EP stuff? Is there like, is there yeah, interest? Yeah, I believe so. I believe, I don't know. I mean, they've been out of print for a long time. Um, the second CD has got some terrible theremin playing on it. Because <laughs> I, uh, I, we, we ran out of time and I had to do all my theremin in one hour. And... Um, I wasn't, you know, big and ugly enough to stand up for myself. And um, please don't listen to Lightless by the Night Terrors. The theremin playing sucks. <laughs> so what's sucky theremin playing to you? Like, what does that mean? Is it just doesn't, it's off key or it doesn't sound it's off right? Key. Yeah. It's off key. Like yeah. you're not getting your hand little movements right to... I, I Look, uh, until I was taught how to do it, I was guessing. And... Um, uh, and also, I, d- I think I didn't really, really understand how much discipline was required. I was just sort of phoning it in, going, "Ah, oh, look, I've got a, th- I've got a theremin, you know, which was enough, um, but not on a record. Um, when you've only got now to do all the theremin, and th- and I thought, you know, that's just life, isn't it? Um, please <laughs> never listen to that record, anybody. It's got one good song on it. <laughs> Um, you've talked about a lot of famous theremin players, but you mm. haven't mentioned Anton LaVey. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about your ties to Satanism and how you're trying <laughs> to like corrupt the youth of <laughs> the world? Now, Rory. <laughs> I was going to get you. Got your journalism. <laughs> I got going. you, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's not the first time that this happened. <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell so us. The, the, the first time that the, Sats- that the Satanism thing uh, was brought up, and I'm going to go on record to say I'm not a Satanist, but as has been said to me by members of the Catholic Church, that's what a Satanist would say. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't a Satanist be like, I am a Satanist? They, like, think I'm a, Satanist. I think they, they think I'm a serious Satanist, as in I want to take over everyone's lives and ruin everything, therefore I'm trying to hide it. Oh, of course. So anyway, the, the, uh, how, did it, how did it happen? The Night Terror is made of a record with the pipe organ in the Melbourne Town Hall. Super cool. And um, Sarah Lim, uh, the fabulous, fabulous keyboard player. Friend uh, of the show. Friend of the show. Excellent person. Total shredder. Uh, she, um, in the film clip that we made, she had this beautiful, gorgeous dress on and she had a upside down crucifix necklace on, which no one really noticed. Like, I, I mean, she, she kind of dresses that way. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Lim, as far as I know, also not a Satanist. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to get her on the, <laughs> get her on the show and yeah. just grill her, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she is, she's very, very subtle about it. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're making a record with a pipe organ. 
it's not in a church, um, but I oh, suppose but the, the religious people took offense to using they the did. pipe organ. So um, as soon as we put that film clip up, and we were really excited Dude, by that, that clip record rules as well. Yeah. Like all the color. Oh yeah. man, amazing. Um, uh, we, you know, we released it on Death Waltz. Um, that's how we saw it. Well, it came out on Death Waltz. First, it was on Twisted Nerve, which is Andy Votel's label, um, who's a UK library music person, uh, legend. Um, and um, anyway, we made this video and we shared it and it went on Theremin World, which is this amazing website that I've been obsessing over since the you 90s. You were on Theremin, Theremin World? World. And honestly, biggest thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. I was like, we got on Theremin World. Like, I was so excited. And then someone saw it on Theremin World from the Bob Moog Foundation and the Bob Moog Foundation shared it, Whoa. which is why it became really seen by a lot of people. And immediately we got hate mail from Christians in America who oh, were like... So American Christians were the ones that came after you, not like... Originally. You know, yeah. First, first it was the Americans. Always. And, and we were like, what's it? I was really quite horrified because I was really proud of that record. And it was like, this is the moment that we get to really do something with the theremin that I, I felt like was the first time. It was very emotionally connected to the music. And I was really proud of that, that album. And these people were like, how dare you, you know, piss on my religion, you know, like all this horrible stuff. And, um, and we were like, what's this about? And it was, oh, it's the bloody necklace. So Sarah. Sarah was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. It's like, what is it 2014? Like, I don't think this is the first time someone's worn that. And it was on yeah. like Black Milk Leggings at this point, probably, or if not, very soon after. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, it was more yeah. of a cultural thing than it was a satanic 100%, 100%. thing. 100%. But anyway, uh, once that happened, then we couldn't put it back in the box. And... Um, um, it just started to spiral. And I mean, I, I think it's just to do with what I look like. Like I'm six foot eight. I have no hair. I kind of bear a, more than a passing resemblance to Nosferatu. Um, I didn't know I had crazy vampire pointed ears until I shaved my hair off. And I was like, oh. Do you have pointed ears? Uh, yeah, on can an you, angle. Can you just lift I've got the headphones on. Headphones? No, they won't come off because the ears are so big. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but, but anyway... So, uh, so anyway, if they came after you, you were very upset because, you know, like you've done something special and they've gone and wrecked it. Like well, all yeah. Christians do. I mean, look, you know, I think also the, the, there was a, anyway, um, there was a few things that we did in that period where I suppose they might, we might have sort of left a trail of breadcrumbs that someone could follow and they, and it turns out they did. So in 2017, I was invited to do a project at Dark Mofo where I performed with an organist, uh, J.P. Shiloh, and we played in churches between Launceston and Hobart, six, six shows in a row playing in churches. Now, all, we're just playing the theremin and playing the organs in the churches, and we had performance artists and video artists, and it was a really amazing traveling show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, you know, we went down to Tasmania, we met all the church people, we wrote the music for it, and we came down to do the first show in Launceston. And we're playing with uh, Alexander Hacker from Einstutz de Neubauten uh, and Ooh. his partner, Danielle DiPicciotto. And um, um, I'd never met them. And, and Alex walks in and he's got a Gorgoroth t-shirt on. Oh, no. And he's like, you're the Satan guy. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He's like, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. You're the Satan guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, oh, we were invited to play at Dark Mofo in Berlin and we were in the rehearsal room. We're like, we don't know anything about this festival. Let's look it up on YouTube. And we found this video. You know, the video where it says that you're a Satan guy. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. So he gets his phone out and he's showing me this video 
uh, very, it's still on YouTube. It's called uh, Tasmanian Church's Aid in Satanic um, Infiltration or something. Listeners, um, I will put a link in the description yeah. of this show. You can jump across and watch it now. It's an amazing video. And basically, there's a guy with a, really, with a headset mic on, breathing heavily into the headset mic, making this quite compelling argument that Miles Brown and the Night Terrors are part of a satanic cult <gasps> with Hillary Clinton and John Podesta and Marina Abramovich. Oh, wow. And that we're coming to Tasmania to take over and corrupt people through these performances in these churches and that people need to wake up says wake up quite a few times um <laughs> alex jones likes to say wake up a lot as well it's, yeah it's a real good calling card for any crazy on right. the internet you know i thought my friends at vice magazine had made it when we first saw it but it turned out to be real <laughs> and and so we're standing this is happening in the church and then the 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 minister who's a really cool guy comes over and goes yeah actually like everybody's seen that video and we need to talk to you about that like are you guys taking the piss and we were like what like i didn't even know this existed Turned out he was um, the uncle of Jason Peppiot from Psychroptic. <laughs> Total legend, this minister from the Uniting Church. And um, he was like, look, it's cool. It's fine. You know, the Uniting Church wouldn't even care if you were because we're chilled. Um, but, but three of the other churches pulled out of the, of the thing at the last minute and um, the producers had to find new churches. Lost quite a lot of money. And, um, and then it got crazier because in Launceston, the show was fine. But as we got into central Tasmania, people started to get weirder. At one of the churches, someone flicked me with holy water to try and stop me walking in. And then did, how did the burn go afterwards? Yeah, like, it was fine. I just put some pawpaw on. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like a bad sunburn. So, <laughs> yeah. Not that bad, actually. Good I don't to know. know what the big deal is. So we've got to stake you if we really want to get <laughs> yeah, you, you know. Right. That's right. Uh, and people were re- re- reciting scripture at the top of their voices. Yeah, it, it got... It got weird. Um, we were on the front cover of the newspaper, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't. It, it got really weird. And this is, you know, I've never said to anyone in, the, in my whole life that I have an opinion about Satan in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and then since then, it's just been unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So we've just nipped it in the butt right now, like mm. listeners. You are not a Satanist. No ties to Satan. Not really. No. <laughs> I mean, we have a beer every now and again. Who doesn't? Sinful. Yeah. yeah. So you're slightly sinful, but no more than anyone else. No. Holy shit. I didn't know that was a whole deal there. Well, so the funny thing is, I'm, I'm circling back so you, around so your you question. So you met Anton LaVey. Well, your question was, what's the th- deal with Anton LaVey? I didn't realize until after this it all happened that Anton LaVey played the organ and the theremin yeah he plays it in a Marilyn Manson film clip yeah so I didn't know anything about him really I mean oh. I knew the name and um, and also yeah look you know we do look similar if I went with that sort of goatee <laughs> if thing if you did the goatee yeah, yeah or maybe even when I got like a little Lucifer yeah you know you could do a bit like that we'd be talking then mm. um, so I won't be doing that <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take moody black and white photos of myself wearing a coat, looking kind of to the side and, and yeah. you know. And, and, and that's as far as I'm going into Anton LaVey territory, okay? I'm not going any further. <laughs> was, Holy shit. There was, was a band camp, um, did a review of my single last year and they were like, the review was Miles Brown looks like Anton LaVey. <laughs> cool, thanks band camp. <laughs> did that person at least buy the song or the album no. to review that? They, and they said it while I was making EBM. Oh my God, I was offended. What's EBM? Do you say EDM or EB- e- EBM? What's EBM? Electronic body music. It's goth industrial music. Oh. Yeah, I don't make EBM. 
Because I was, I've heard EDM, which is like that's electronic dance music, right? Yeah. But there's a BM as well. That's EBM, separate genres. EBM, yeah, <gasps> 80s, 80s club music. Yeah. Wow, I love that on the the new record you've described it as what do you call it, like a uh, sci-fi synthy techno or something, and it was like that was Spencer um, from Death Waltz who wrote that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just thought, oh my god, like it's. It's just such a ridiculous, like, it's such a great genre. Like, it's so ridiculous anyway. Like, that's kind of what it is, though. Like, well, you kind of well, nailed it. Yeah, that's why the last record was called Seance Fiction, because we were like, how do you say gothic techno? Oh, Seance Fiction, maybe. Yeah. Gothic techno. Yeah. The genre nobody asked for. <laughs> but I'm a big fan. I've already been listening to, I've already been listening to, the new one's called The Gateway, right? Yes. So The Gateway is out. It's out today. It's out today. Today. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Very so exciting. let's jump into into the future. Okay. <laughs> go using seance fiction to go to the future. Uh-huh. Tell us about this, this new record. It's yep. solo. It's Miles Brown. It's, it's not, solo. Yes. It's not Night Terrors or one of its many incarnations. No. Um, well, in the, in the, towards the end of the Night Terrors, well, it's not, it's, it's still going, but, um, I started to learn how to use this analog synths that we were. That's a tram going past. Oh, I thought that's that was a feedback. Anton LeVay. <laughs> the Satan's he's, in this. He's locked in the cupboard. <laughs> Just wait, buddy. I told you. I've got visitors. Um, uh, started to, you know, we always use the analog synths just in a prog way, just with playing with our hands. And I started to sort of go, oh, what's that, you know, what's the Detroit techno way of using these things? Um, and we started to get a bit more electronic. And so I sort of, my bandmates were getting getting antsy and I was like, it's okay, I'll take this off and do this by myself. You guys don't have to be involved with this. Um, and um, so, yeah, uh, I wanted to make a party record. Like I, I actually went solo because I wanted to do more sad sort of melancholy theorem and stuff because the band was getting heavier. And um, But I ended up just writing party bangers. Yeah, and I was going to say, it's not sad at all, <laughs> it's man. Not. It's, it's awesome. This record's really, really not very melancholy at all, which is unusual for the theremin. And I actually think that a lot of goths are going to hate it. Oh, uh, you reckon? You think you're going to upset the goths? You're well, I'm pro- hoping to. Demographic. I'm hoping to. I'm going to keep people on their toes. And you know what? People don't know what they want until, you know, five years later and they realise they already had what they needed and Miles Brown made it for them and that, they, were, they, they poo-pooed it at the start. I you know? put like, all my eggs in that basket, basically. <laughs> That's right. I'm either I'm either forward thinking or a dickhead. Yeah, well, you've got two fans in this room. I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast that fucking love this new record. So, tell us about how you tried to make a, a melancholic record and it came out like this. Um, I th- look, I'm just a firm. The reason the record's called the Gateway is because I'm a firm believer in just when you sit down to write music, you should just sit down and open the gateway, and whatever comes through is it. Uh, mm. I've always been a against the idea that you should censor your ideas as they come through. You've got to let them through and then come back and check them out later and make a decision about whether it's good. Um, and also I just felt like the world was at, weirdly enough, about to go through some kind of major gateway, like this kind of turn of the century thing, but also things seemed a bit fucked. And Australia, particularly, things seemed a bit fucked. Like the image on the cover is actually meant to look like Australia a little bit. Oh. Wow, um, I, had, that's, I had no idea. You heard it, heard it here first, this guys. Is exclusive on yeah. this show, I love it. <laughs> um, and um, and I was like, how do I make a sort of slightly political record when I don't sing? Um, and so it's more of a vibe thing. 
<laughs> but also I'm protesting, yeah, like, non vocally. I, I think also like that stuff about the the uh, you know having the 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 conservative uh, members of society get angry about what we were doing when we weren't doing anything even vaguely offensive got my back up a little bit, and then I as uh, it got further and further, like I realized that um there was some value in being that provocative and you know leaning into it you know like oh you don't like and i realize you know people people don't like people that look different people don't like music that sounds different um they try and stop it and they don't like like soviet you know made uh instruments they don't like soviet made instruments um and you know as you guys would know like you listen to underground music in in australia the mainstream of australia is really really it stinks you know and like it's really important for all of us to be part of the counterculture because and for those of us who are older musicians it's really important that we're active so that people can see younger musicians can see older musicians being active as older people and that's fantastic that you say that that's that is really important to me because i think like growing up in the kind of music scene in Geelong, mm. there was a lot like older guys that you really look up to and yeah. then they go off and move to Melbourne and start bands and then they're still doing stuff and it gives you that, oh, yep. I can do that. I can go up there. I can, you know, I can try yep. this thing. I think that's that's really good that you're you're waving that oh, flag yeah. or holding the torch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is. I mean, I, I had that in Hobart. We had the guys from the Lugly Girls and um, they ran a label called Fear of Children and it's very similar to Geelong. Um, you know, it, it, the, so many, you know, heroes of Australian rock and roll come from Geelong. Um, oh man, I, I, I'm from there, I know Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like I have to yeah. wave it around yeah, When yeah. people are like, what? Man, <laughs> but, Chrissy Amphlett, you know Yeah, well I mean this is a th- And so I suppose, you know I actually moved overseas for a while And I was like, fuck Australia I can't be fucked with this anymore And you know, the Night Terrors audience is not here mm. But then I kind of went Oh no, I'm not, I'm not playing the game I'm not being community minded enough I'm not allowing uh, uh, people to see Weird people still staying at home And I mean, um, you know There's value in do in in you know not just leaving basically mm. um but also kind of as i was saying before i've kind of realized I, I like being a bit of a provocateur slight one and because people think i'm doing it even when i'm not so may as well and so all the albums t- the song titles on this record are kind of they're very t- tongue-in-cheek bit tongue-in-cheek and you're leaning into the maybe it's about satanism maybe it isn't <laughs> Um, there was one that I loved that we were looking at today and it was like exercise, but it was exercise. Exercise like. routine. Yes. <laughs> and some enchanted evening, which is a play on some, some enchanted evening, which is an old standard. Oh. Uh, anyway, dad jokes. Fun. Give us a, give us a couple more. Like uh, what, uh, who, came, who comes up with the names? Is it just you or is this, this you? It's just me. Yes. Uh, speaking in tongues, obvious satanic reference. Um, <laughs> the gateway. Well, you know, I mean, there's that idea of the a conservative uh, horror about what happens if you open the gateway or what happens if you open the, 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 um, the cemetery gates and the dead come out or what happens if you open the rich person's house gates and the poor people come in. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is exactly what's happening in the world right now. So that's really interesting, mm. actually, when you're thinking about the gateway as a as a metaphor for, for any kind of change, opening opening the floodgates in some way. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that um, Australia is really going through that now. And uh, I didn't think it was going to be this overt, but uh, you know, that's that was the vibe. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! What have I got else written here? Um, 
Satan was written down. Mm-hmm. Covered that yep. very clearly now that we've, <laughs> we've sorted that out. Um, yeah, you mentioned living overseas before. So mm-hmm. when you when you left, at what age were you and where did you go? When I was a kid. Well, you mentioned Saudi Arabia as a kid, but then yeah. didn't you say later that you wanted to uh, kind of- I mean, Naito has toured around Europe a lot and I w- have been over and spent time in Berlin quite a few times. And mm. I, I mean, obviously, it's a fabulous place for music. Um it's a great place to go and see music and recharge your creative batteries. And I've been over there on sort of writing um, trips. So just go and get an apartment and just write music and, and just churn it all out. Wow. And I, uh, I'm, a lot of this stuff was written there. Um, and I've got two more records that are finished that are all, all from that writing period as well. So just wow. good to get away from where your friends are for a while and just go into deep writing mode. How does the theremin travel when you go overseas? It folds like, up it into down it or? folds up into overhead. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is good because it's it's way too fragile to go in um, in in checked baggage. Don't, yeah, don't put the theremin in checked baggage. I did that once. It, it costs a lot to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it does make sense. It feels like uh, theremin music and and dancing kind of theremin music would fit in quite well in berlin right was there is there yeah. is there a scene for that there oh i like- mean yeah a huge techno scene and and uh, uh look uh, the first time i went over to berlin um one sorry one of the early times by myself um uh i i was i met some people there and they took me to a whole bunch of like italian disco dark wave clubs and they were like look this is similar to your music like this is like the night terrors but it's electronic and you know and you maybe like, maybe you could maybe you could move in that direction and, and i was like that's not a bad idea um you know it's cheaper than carrying a whole lot of analog synthesizers and a drummer around <laughs> which is what we were doing at the end there so um yeah i suppose that's really what it was um and um you know the horror disco thing was just starting and i met anthony maiovi who runs giallo disco records and he he um night terrors played with goblin for the first time in in berlin and um and Marovi played guitar for us. Oh, wow. Um, so that's how we met. And, you know, deep, you know, uh, what do you call that genre? Horror, disco, synth wavy kind of crew. Like and so, anything that kind of derived from like John Carpenter's Halloween score? Is that kind of where it started? Yeah. Like, is that, the, uh, yeah, is that yeah. kind of the seed of that, that for sound? Sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, the Night Terrors played at a festival in... Um, in um, Tilburg in in Holland and we played on the roof of this radio station didn't like a video live to air thing and this guy heard us in the street and came up and he ran Seed Records uh, UK record label that was putting out my Ovi stuff and he introduced us to him so it was kind of like all connected weirdly wow <laughs> um, yeah and it, look that was hugely influential for me because I was like oh I can do this by myself mm. um, and um, I'll take the pressure off the band and stop being a megalomaniac and and um, go off and do my weird little techno thing by myself. Yeah, and I think that fits quite in uh, well with like uh, the Goblin and movie soundtracks and synthwave, like all that stuff. That's like making a really big resurgence right now. Well, it, yeah, it's so funny. Like, I mean, I never would have predicted that that would happen, but um, it's been really interesting. Look, I, I like that stuff. Like, there's a great synthwave club in Melbourne called Laser Highway, which I go to all the time. I can't believe there's a nightclub playing this music now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Stranger Things, obviously a huge deal. And, um, you know, it, 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 analog synthesizers don't go out of style, really. <laughs> There's always something that people are using them for. 
That's amazing. So um, let's talk about uh, not just solo stuff, your other stuff. You've got other projects on the go. Mm. Night Terrors, as you said, mm-hmm. still is going. Is it still, still going. going? Still going. <laughs> not yes. dead. Not dead. And tell us about this other project you've got. Undead. Um, so I have a new project called The Narcolepta, which is a collaboration with classical harpist uh, Mary Damani, who's a, fab, a completely amazing uh, classical harpist, plays all different genres. She's like worked in jazz and she's played lots of film soundtracks, w- w- uh, worked with lots of, you know, big people of the, from the uh, 90s and 2000s. And um, she's also a very keen and incredible avant-garde musician. And I met her... Uh, quite randomly, I pl- we both played a gig separately. Um, she was playing with Philip Brophy, who's kind of a Melbourne electronic music legend. And um, and I was doing a solo set at um, this uh, friend of ours, Lara Travis, her album launch. Um, and I was just like, wow, you're a harp player. Like, I, I've always wanted to play with a harpist. And she's like, yeah, I've always wanted to play with a theremin player. Maybe we should oh. play one time. Um and then we uh, basically played at the Make It Up Club, which is the Tuesday night um, improvised music gig down at Bar Open. It's been running forever. And um, they just pair people up and you get up and you just improvise. And, um, and Mary and I just were like, okay, well, we'll do that then because we've both played that before. And uh, we got up and played this set and uh, this thing happened. And it sounds like, you know someone descending into hell basically like this wow. really really intense mary sort of screams and makes all these incredible noises and um sings and plays the harp and she has all these uh it's a it's prepared harp so she has bits of stuff stuffed in the strings and blue tack on, and all this kind of crazy stuff so her harp sounds like a whole lot of other different things and she hits it with stuff and, and really is the, is the harp mic'd in some way like yeah it's mic'd mic'd with a it's got a pickup and it's mic'd and she's sort oh. of singing and and i'm um decided to just for that gig i decided i would try and um play with some effects with the theremin which i don't normally do and also um I've started doing this new thing with the theremin where I'm controlling analog synthesizers um, via CV technology, um, which is all over the gateway as well. But in the Narcoleptor, um, it's all about how that doesn't work. So um, the theremin doesn't track perfectly with the synth. So like if you're playing the same note on the synth and the theremin and then you go up, it'll go out. And it's really annoying. But in the Narcoleptor, that's like we do it on purpose. So it's all completely you don't know what your instruments are going to do basically is the concept um and we just do this gig we can improvise this gig um and it was recorded and then everyone was like hey that was uh you know good but you're not supposed to play music you've already written and we were like no we didn't um and so we 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 got this recording and we that's what we released as our first uh record which was just this live show and then we were like wow i wonder if that will happen if we do another one so we did another one um at the make it up club and we record it, and that's going to be the second record. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So this is new new project for me, and like you know, uh, there's no mixing, there's no editing. We record it to stereo, and that's it. Um, wow. So it's like completely terrifying and risky. But Mary's just this most amazing musician. Like, just a complete pleasure to play with, and I just trust that she, you know she's going to take it somewhere weird. But the cool thing about it is that the theremin is microtonal, so you can play every note in between the notes as well. It doesn't have, you know, frets or anything. Um, so because she's playing this harp that's out of tune deliberately, we're not anywhere near normal music to start off with, but then we're sort of playing it like it's classical music. So it's shifting in and out of key all the time. And 
I can go off and do something completely atonal and she can sing along with me. And then, you know, so we, we have this uh, strange new project, completely different to the Night Terrors or anything else I've done, but it's fun. And then tell us about the Night Terrors. What's this uh, grand return? Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah Lim and I have been uh, writing some music. We're going to do a heavy Night Terrors record because Sarah is an extreme metalhead. Um, and something we haven't really done. Um, you know, we've had elements of heaviness. You've had jazz moments. Yeah. You've had this. We've never really gone full. What's full heavy for Miles Brown? Like, how do you make a theremin sound heavy? Well, we will find out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're working on. Um, I, I, I think that with the theremin, um, it seems to be my job to take it somewhere that it hasn't been. And um, there's no one else working in these genres Yet, I really hope there's going to be. I hope if there's any theremin players listening who are thinking I really want to make my dubstep theremin record, please make it. Like, it would be great um, for it not to just to be the same thing all the time. Um, there, yeah. There's a great compilation that came out this year for the 100th anniversary called Theremin 100, which was um, Doric Chrysler, who's a fantastic New York thereminist and, and all, a lot of fa- absolutely fabulous players. And that was uh, important because it's, it's original, mostly, I think, all original music for the theremin and the first real collection of a big, wide-ranging collection of original music. But um, historically, there hasn't been much. And... Um, most people are players and not so many people are writers. And I, I'm more of a focused on a write, bit writing for it, but also trying to take it into genres that it hasn't been in before. So um, fuck knows what genre this is we're doing with the Narcolepta, <laughs> but that's kind of if I have a, have a vague plan. <laughs> that's my vague plan. And that's all you need, you know? Yeah, that's a vague one. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, I reckon we might jump into some lightning round questions to finish this off. Okay. Are you ready to go? Sure. All right, cool. Uh, just give me a second to get this up. Yeah, so you just got to look. I say lightning round, but the rules of the show is usually people take a lot of time. So feel free to take as much time as you need. But Mm -hmm. it was kind of built around the notion that we would do it quickly. But uh, see how you go. Analog or digital? Analog. What time do you wake up today? Oh, 7 a.m. Very good. Yes. Last thing you read? Um, Those tarot cards. a trick question right it is, yeah, I've, I've been trying to catch people up for this whole show and no one's ever picked up on the cards <laughs> all of you idiots from the previous episodes oh. um uh what is your first memory my first memory fucking this hell. trips up everyone man uh, yeah it's it's an interesting one it's funny my what comes first out. memory um probably um well, it's probably not really a memory, but like dry, uh, a vi- home video of me uh, riding down uh, the street with Hocus Focus by Pocus playing in the background on my dad's home video, a family video. That's how prog we were. <laughs> it's very prog. It's the one with the yodeling. It's the one with the yodeling. It certainly, <laughs> most certainly is. Mal showing her true nerd colours there in the corner. That is an extremely good song. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Last thing you cooked? <laughs> I can't say pingers um, <laughs> Myself No can. Can't say anything like that Last thing I cooked um, A sandwich <laughs> That's honest It was a sandwich Very good uh, If you were reborn Who or what would you like to be Other than a vampire Reborn Hmm 
I, I would like to be reborn. Oh, no, but what would you? <laughs> that's it. Just as what? As just you, the like uh, baby version of Miles Brown. Uh, you do it all again. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, it would be like Groundhog Day, except you know, longer payoff. Do you reckon if you were reborn as yourself, as a baby, would you remember all the previous Miles Brown knowledge to be the new baby Miles Brown? I'm going to go with yes, because I don't understand the question. <laughs> We've already taken this into territory that's no, never been before, what, Miles. What, what would I be reborn as? Sorry, I was being cheeky. What would I be reborn as? Um, no, I'm going to stick with my answer. I think that is what I'd be reborn as. I think it's the as. most yeah. unique answer this has <laughs> ever gotten on the show. <laughs> You could maybe look into it egotistically as well and be like, what, you want to come back as yourself? You think you're that good that you want to, you know, like someone could dig into that if they want to. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pro- getting pretty good at this one. So if I got another go at it, I feel like... True. It'd be like, <laughs> don't take that. Don't eat that. That person is not doesn't have good ideas. Move there soon. Yeah, go that's there. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a really good idea. Yeah, the, the, the uh, fake dreadlocks... Bypass those next time. Wait, what? You did fake dreadlocks? I had a couple. The... I had a couple in in the grunge puppy fat years. I had a couple of green and black uh, hair extension things with beads in them. It's not a good thing because when you're doing windmills, they flick you in the teeth. Oh, ow! Yeah, I learnt that the hard way. That's well. That's something that <laughs> next level Miles Brown, the, the reborn version, can skip straight through. Yeah. Uh, what inspires you? Um, other people making amazing artwork. That's what inspires me. I reckon that being inspired should be a human right. Like I think that everybody gets bored and stupid and does stupid things when they aren't inspired. And I think people should put a lot of energy into making sure that they have inspiring friends or they find something that makes you... I love that David Bowie quote where he says, you should always feel like you can't quite touch the bottom. You're out in the water and you can only just touch the bottom. That's when where you, where you should be all the time with with creative stuff. And I, I think that's that's pretty much right. That's very cool. Well, to a quick sidebar, mm. you mentioned you were at art school, mm-hmm. art, studying art at uni. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what were you studying? Like, what was it specifically? Uh, uh, sculpture and sound art. So and theory. So yeah, I kind of, I did psychology first and then I went to art school and I kind of uh, went all the way through and I got into masters at the VCA, very exciting. And then when I got to the masters, I was like, I want to play the theremin and I dropped out and they were very angry with me, but I was just going to the library and downloading theremin music at that. I just got to the point where I was like, this is what I want to do. Have they welcomed you back since then now, being, you know, the the the, the, the man that you are now? Can no. they say, oh, man, <laughs> you went to this school, you know, do they try and claim you later? Uh, no. I mean, I I, I think, like, I, I just think that um, post-grad for me at university, I was like, I don't know, I, I, this is nothing here for me at the moment. I'll come back and do it later. I'm kind of really glad that I left because I, I would love to go back and do some kind of, you know, PhD on the theremins of something like that. But at the time, it was just like... I've been at uni for long enough now and I want to get out into the world and, you know, do something. Yeah, yeah. very good. Um, last record you played? The last record I played was um, Heart. The, 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 I just bought the Heart record that has Barracuda on it because I never heard the whole record. It's called, hang on, let me just see. Cause it's over here. <laughs> we're, pausing, we're, we're pausing while Mile gets up to it. Yeah. Oh, Mal could have told you that. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. it. Was it? <laughs> Little Queen by Heart, uh, which I just bought off Discogs. I just discovered that you can buy, uh, you can tell Discogs to look only in a specific country, which I didn't know. So amazing. See you later, all my money. Yeah, so, I was just about to say, that's a dangerous yeah, move. Yeah, so I got this Diamanda Glass record. Um, 
as well. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm never leaving my, this room now. But um, yeah, I'm just, I've been doing this thing where I'm like, I have songs that I love. Like Barracuda is such an amazing song. I'm like, what's the rest of that record like? Turns out it's not that good. Oh! <laughs> well, sorry. It's nothing like that song. So it's actually very good, but it's like this sort of medieval gypsy kind of thing, mostly acoustic. Yeah. And then it's got this stonking metal song at the start of it. I was really hoped because I just love everything about that song, the guitar playing, the drumming, her voice, everything is so fucking kick-ass. I'm like, oh God, I hope the rest of this record is like that. It ain't. So Mal, as a heart fan, is there anything that uh, Miles could do? That- um, just listen to the song Little Queen of the, you know, the title of the album. Yeah. Like that song fucking rocks. Yeah, or it does actually, yeah. I, I suppose I was just expecting a heavy record. I've only listened to it once, by the way, and I was doing some work at the same time, so I need to go back. Excellent. Okay, yeah. Gets heavy. Mel approved. No, no, um, no. I, I take the recommendation. Uh, favorite piece of musical equipment? Oh, I have to say the Moog Ethwave Pro Theremin, even though it's the thing that makes me the angriest. Um, <laughs> what does it mean? Because the theremin's really, really frustrating and... You know, the, it's a never-ending battle. Like you're, you're con- It's like I would say it would be like trying to maintain fitness. Um, you know, you're always coming back. Uh, try you lose you lose your theremin fitness. You lose your ability to concentrate. You really have to go into a meditative state in order to play the theremin really well. You have to really drop out of consciousness into like this other thing and theremin world. Yeah, um, and. If you don't do it, you get shitter at it, and you've got to you've got to work out. Basically, you've got to do it all the time. Yeah. Do, do those do the words of uh, your teacher still ring in your ears when you like oh, step up to the? Therapy? She's right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> she's hundred percent. In no world would I ever say she was wrong about that. She was totally right, and I mean, it, it, it's also just. You know, it's one of the hardest instruments in the world. Like the, apparently, the classical harp is also one of the hardest, and like you can't just like treat it like it isn't. You know, which I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get into that meditative zone, though? Like before a show, you're around talking to people before you play, yep. and then mm. all of a sudden you've just got to be there and you've got to be perfectly still yep. doing it. Uh, go off backstage and have a talk to yourself. And then, because in the night terrors, I was always playing the theremin and the bass and the keyboard. So I'd have the bass on all the time and I was moving around. I got pretty good at just doing the sinking stone thing like just going and then coming back um i've got a photo here of uh, pamela kirsten on the wall who's um, another one of my favorite theremin players and if you watch her on on youtube she's just like like she just drops out of her body because she's quite a hyperactive really really fun you know kind of person and then she's she's like not there and then she comes back and um i learned a lot from watching her do that um yeah so that's it like basically if i was to you know make a uh, if i was going to make a record that was only theremin with no other instruments i would spend months getting ready to record that because you're you just have to be able to concentrate so hard and it's just like like meditating you know it's the same with meditating you can only concentrate for so long and you get better and better at it and it's literally the same thing wow Mm. fascinating um 
I, I find it fascinating. I'm going to sidetrack again because uh, we saw you play on my birthday weekend last year, <laughs> yeah. and you we were having a bit of a chat in the bathroom beforehand, and then all of a sudden you get up on stage and you do that. If I had known that, I probably wouldn't have tried to break the concentration <laughs> while you were putting your cape on. In well, the no, no, I needed help with the cape. Um, I mean, th- this is the thing. Like, the, the part of the reason that I'm doing dance party music is because it's so. I mean, and all of the things I've done with the theremin have been counterintuitive to what it's actually difficult to play a theremin to loud music. It's much easier to play it to a piano mm. and because it, the theremin is actually all about the dynamic range that it has. It can play very, very, very quietly and, and quite loud. And, and when you play with loud music, you're only really playing loud on or off, kind of missing half of what the instrument is, which is why I love the narcoleptic because we're kind of all over the dynamic spectrum mm. um but then the the yeah i don't know i just made i, I just keep on making um party music and i like <laughs> playing it so i'm my own worst enemy and it gets you further away from the satan stuff which is probably good too well that's right i'm my own worst enemy and obviously the church's worst enemy <laughs> well the last movie you saw miles uh, uh so this amazing movie called in fabric uh directed by peter strickland and it has this incredible soundtrack by a band called Cavern of Antimatter, which is mem- ex-members of Stereolab. And the movie is like just a completely surreal, crazy, I don't want to give it away, but it's set in a um, department store. Oh. Um, it's about uh, the spookiness of department stores. Oh, yeah. And the music is outrageously good. The acting's incredible. Highly recommend In Fabric. Wow. Glowing recommendation from Miles Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you love? Who do I love? Everybody. Oh. <laughs> do you have any pets? No. Uh, are you useful? Am I useful uh, in certain areas? <laughs> like making a sandwich, I yes. Can, I can get things off the top shelf. If the old ladies <laughs> at the supermarket, which I do uh, quite a lot. Do you really? Yes. And they're not like, they don't like hold up a cross or anything, you know, like a crucifix? They, you mean they don't hold a grudge? <laughs> um, no, they tend to get me to do it and then they like, it's a cool, it's actually one of the cool things when you're really tall. Little old ladies ask you to get things off the shelf and then you both walk away like nothing happened. They're like, I hate having to ask you. You're like, I didn't really enjoy doing that, but you just do it. It's good for the soul. Though, it's good I'm for sure. the soul. Yeah. yeah. Way to go. Mm. <laughs> That's the thing that makes you useful. It's like, yeah, I get stuff off my yep, Yeah. Uh, what's your biggest fear? Heights. Really? Not a fan of heights. No. Six foot eight is as far as I go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you value the most? Uh, our honesty uh, in uh, all kind, obviously in, in all areas, but particularly um, artists. I think that like I work as a... Um, as a music curator as as well as doing music for myself and the thing that i've noticed from working with other artists is what makes people succeed and that means you know become famous is nothing to do with training and it's nothing to do with style or fashion it's all about whether you're telling the truth wow. and every and the fucking thing that people really hate admitting is that everyone in the whole world has that you don't have to put the hard yards in you don't have to you know um you know sleep with the right people or pay the right buy the right equipment like if you just actually tell a story about something that happened to you and put it into a piece of art it will definitely land and um 
I think that, you know, I used to always be like, oh, you know, people are getting opportunities. Why is this person popular? I don't like that genre. Why is everyone like it? And I'm pretty sure that's the answer. So, and I mean, it's really, I've got friends who spent, you know, 20 years of their life studying jazz who fight me tooth and nail on this point because they're like, no, I've invested too much time in, in doing the other thing. But like, if you, you know, that, that old fucking saying, all you need is three chords and the truth. Like, it, I, I actually think that's, that's actually true. Wow. Mm. That's, a, that's a good, good piece of advice for any <laughs> listener out there. Yeah. That's great. Um, can you do any voices? What kind of voices can you do? Do you have any like a... I just have giant Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's I can only afford that one. <laughs> it's, got you, it's got you pretty far though. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, anime or Disney? Anime. Yeah? What kind of animes do you do? Anything that isn't Disney. Oh, okay. I'm not a Disney guy. Too, too evil corporation? Um, they're, the real, they're the real evil corporation. Yeah, when you're talking about Satanists, no, right? yeah. I don't, just, that doesn't, doesn't really strike me, really. Um, honestly, uh, all the anime I've seen has been at the hands of my uh, friends or my siblings. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't know really that much but about it. But it's purely the, the lesser of two evils in that scenario. Yeah. Very good. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Uh, Autobots or Decepticons? Decepticons, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Are you more of a Batman or a Robin? Batman. I'm wearing a fucking cape. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone who comes on this show picks Batman, Miles. Well, that's a bit of a dud question, though. Sorry. Well... So someone who identifies as a Robin. In oh, this. do you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, see, the reason I say this is because this is a running joke in my family. We watch this. Um, uh, we're big fans of Yes. In my, my uncles and my dad and my brothers and sister, everybody lo- loves Yes. And we'd never seen them. And then my cousin got this video of Yes performing in the 70s. And it was cool because Rick Wakeman's there and he's like giant sparkling cape and his long blonde hair. It looks like an actual wizard with all of his Moga synthesizers. And then... The bass player, Chris Squire, who I'm a huge fan of, he's wearing a mini cape, like a tiny little one, <laughs> like halfway down his back. It's like pretty much like he went to a restaurant and tucked his, like, um, you know, <laughs> serviette down the front and then just whipped it around the back. I'm like, if you're going to wear a cape, wear a real cape. What's this one for? Like, it's like for, for just jumping a little bit higher than normal. It's not even for flying. So I got a thing about small capes. Robin... Oh man, that's so good. Um, what? <laughs> I've just lost it there. Cape etiquette with Miles Brown. Well, that could be a separate I'll... episode, I think. We just... Yeah, put it in my capable hands. <laughs> oh, you're too, you're too much. Um, do you have a favourite Ninja Turtle? Um, uh, let me pass my mind back. Would have been Raphael. Mm, yeah. He comes up a lot yeah. as a favourite because he's the outsider. Is that what you just a bit more of a cunt. Mm, yeah. Tr- true. Yeah. He had a troubled past. You know, he got separated from the other turtles. It's hard. Wasn't Corey Feldman playing him in the movie? Oh, I think it was. It's a good question. I have to, we yeah. have to double check that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, Corey Feldman back again. <laughs> Corey Feldman was mm. mentioned off mic <laughs> earlier on the show and yeah. probably in other people's lives today, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, what movie could you watch every day but not get sick of? Um, look, I'm sure everyone says Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I do enjoy that movie. I don't think anyone said oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what other movies would I not get sick of? Um, 
The Wizard of Oz is actually so good. Um, True. Uh, what else? Um, oh, my favorite movie is Possession. Possession, uh, starring Sam Neill and Isabella Gianni. Um, oh, I haven't seen that from one. Uh, early eighties. Sam Neill's first um, European. Oh, it's a European movie. I'm not. I can't think of the name of the director. Um, highly, highly recommend it. It's shot in Berlin uh, before the world came down, um, and it's wild. Wow. Yeah. Great. This is, is going to be a great little uh, link in description list for some stuff for all this. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Another movie question. This is a new one from our super Patreon, Matt. Uh, what was the first MA 15 plus movie you ever saw? Probably Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, is that MA 15 plus? Nah, that would have just been M. We're talking, we're talking that like, you know, octagon, hexagon, diamond, baby, you know? Fuck. Um, uh, nine and a half weeks. What's nine and a half weeks? Kim Bassinger, sex movie. Oh, with yeah. Mickey Raw? Is yeah, it Mickey yeah, Raw? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. my brother and I saw that by accident when we were kids. Came on uh, the TV. <laughs> <laughs> he says, like, hmm. "Yep, that's a good answer." Mm. Um, what country do you want to visit the most? I would like to go back to Saudi Arabia because I grew up there and I uh, haven't been back since I was ten. So tell us a little bit why you ended up there. Oh, my dad was working for Telstra uh, in, in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, why do they need to go to Saudi Arabia for? They got the telecommunications contract. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Then we came back because the Gulf War happened, the first Gulf War. So, uh, yeah, that would be where I'd like to go. That's wild. <laughs> so it's like, all right, kids, we're going back to Australia. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Yeah. We went back pretty smart, pretty Whoa. quick. Um, and famous last words. Do you have any quotes that you like? Or? I have my own. When I, embar- I have my headstone, I worked it out recently. My oh. headstone's going to say, this slab's on me. <laughs> So anyone who's listening to this podcast years from now when celebrating Miles Brown's life, we can yeah. remember that if the, if the headstone doesn't say that, we're going to have to go back. And, and that's for my friend Monica Zanketa who always teases me about not buying drinks. <laughs> That'll show her. <laughs> yeah. That'll show her. <laughs> Should we listen to this podcast all the yeah. way through? She's like, oh, I mentioned. Uh, well, now I've given it away. Oh, well. I have to think of another one now. <laughs> It's a great way to end the show, Miles. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to, chat to us. It was my pleasure. Thank and, uh, you very much. Everyone go check out The Gateway. The Gateway out now on Death World's Originals. Yeah. And how else can people find it on the internet? Where are you on the internet? Milesbrown.com.au. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Everything's there. The it is. I lurked it today. It looks <laughs> great. There's photos on there. There's, There's photos? Like, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got into photos. <laughs> Uh, everyone else was doing it. Mm, yeah. That's mainstream behavior. Mm. I feel like, you know, the mystery is, it adds to the mystery having a picture of you as well because people are like, whoa. Like, well, and also, as you've discovered from talking to me today, talking to me ruins the mystery. <laughs> 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 that's why I'm not allowed to talk uh, between songs on the night terrorist gigs. Who made that rule? The band. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, hey, welcome to the Post Ramble, guys. Um, this is a special podcast because we're pumping through it. It's, it, it. We recorded it last night. We're doing this Post Ramble Friday morning and we're going to put it out Friday night. So it's very exciting about the uh, speed of which we've got this podcast to the people. It's a good quick turnaround. 
Very much so. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Miles Brown. Mel, what does Miles Brown mean to you? <laughs> he means a lot to me. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I was kind of a little bit nervous about going to his place because I'm a pretty big fangirl of Miles Brown. And yeah, for me, it started about 10 years ago when I kind of stumbled into a night terrace gig pretty cooked. And it, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I was just completely in awe of Miles and I kind of have been ever since like watching him play theremins like nothing else. He's kind of got that charisma energy. There's something about when you see him just kind of like, oh, wow. Oh, you know? yeah, he's otherworldly. Like, him, yeah, when you see him play, like he's so perfectly still, but his hands look, you know, so beautiful and ev- it's everything's so precise, but he's not touching anything. So it's like he's channeling something from another world. It's insane. And like, yeah, the music's just beautiful does it lessen it or make it more exciting knowing now that there's this kind of hogwarts style thing that you know he goes off and learns how to do this in england you know oh, like look, does that make it more exciting for if you? anything um last night has only deepened my love for miles brown <laughs> <laughs> oh me too and hopefully for the listeners as well um we have one well one thing we forgot to mention on the podcast that uh miles sent us a text afterwards and said oh Forgot to mention uh, when we were talking about John Carpenter that he's also on Death Waltz. So that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of pantheon that he's in in this record label uh, that uh, the Gateway came out on, which is pretty fucking cool. Being the, I guess I don't know. Can you call John Carpenter the the, the godfather of that kind of music? I would say sure. so. People can debate me, but uh, they'll probably be right because I don't know that much about it. But I appreciate the fact that he is. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, John Carpenter did Halloween, guys. He not only made Halloween and created Michael Myers on top of other rad movies, but he did the soundtrack as well. And, like, I think he still does music now with his son. And they did, like, you know, they, like, do tours and stuff and they play old 80s horror movie stuff, but, like, live for mm. the band. It's pretty sick. Yeah, I think you could say, like, Goblin of the Godfathers too, right? Oh, yeah, you could say that too, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. It's a shared title. <laughs> it's a shared title. <laughs> Awesome, cool. So um, we don't really have much else to add to the post-ramble, right? What else do you want to talk about other um, than just your love for Miles Brown? That's pretty obvious. Oh, it's so obvious. And, yeah, I mean, I haven't listened back to the podcast properly yet. but um, Due to the speed. Due to the speed and the quick turnaround um, and the need to, you know, drop a fresh episode Correct. ASAP because of, you know because it's such a good episode and because, you know, Miles' album's already dropped. And it's the 100 years of the theremin now. We need to get this out before the end of the year. Mm. You know, it's really yeah, important. Exactly. So, yeah, apologies if uh, you can hear me kind of, like, laughing at everything that Miles says throughout the whole podcast. I was probably in ketosis and I was semi-drunk off one beer and <laughs> Miles was trying really hard not to giggle because he said, thinks he giggles too much, but I kind of made up for that by, yeah, just... Yeah, giggling at everything he said. Yeah, let but, us um, know if there's some giggle creeping into the podcast. <laughs> you can send us a message at Fuck You Tara Lady on Instagram. Yeah, um, but no, he was—he's just yeah, such a lovely dude, and he, like I said, I've kind of always been in awe of him, and you know, going to his shows, and then he played my friend Rachel's house party. It was a birthday. And my band, Babe Jam, um, played their first and only show. What up, Rachel and Carl? <laughs> and we all just had this kind of love for Miles Brown. And, like, Carl barely knew him and just, like, contacted him. and was like, do you want to play this house party? And he's just like, yeah, sure. And, yeah, we were just so stoked because we made this flyer and it had, like, Babe Jam and then, like, Miles Brown. 
There was a there was a, a bit of information that was shared last night after we stopped recording about that night. Can you give us a little bit more of an insight as to what also happened at that night? Wow, yeah, it was a very special night. So, um, yeah, my dear friend Sarah Lim came along to watch Babe Jam play. And, yeah, she got talking to Miles and was like, hey, uh, if you need a keyboard player, uh, you know, I could do it. Just saying. Yeah, she said, I know all your songs already or something. It was along that line, wasn't it? Like, I can play. I already know all your songs. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so what yeah. we're essentially saying is, Sarah Lim, you should be, you know, super grateful that Mal <laughs> gave you this opportunity to, to boldly ask Miles Look, Brown I don't to play. Look, I don't want to take all the credit for you joining that, Tara Sarah, but, uh, you know. Listeners can really draw some conclusions there. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're expecting your thanks in the mail. You make your own mind up how that happens. <laughs> oh, cool. All right, so I'm going to make a, an accompanying YouTube playlist. I'm going to try and do this today while I edit the podcast, I edit this post ramble. So you can check out the YouTube playlist for all the accompanying, hopefully, like theremin stuff and all the other random things we talked yeah, about on like the show. Yeah, and like our favorite. Night Terrors slash Miles Brown tracks. Mm, yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, you can also jump on a link to the Patreon as well. I want to give a special thanks to my best friend, Matt Cleary, who is the first patron of the show. And not only does he get the honor of helping out <laughs> with this crappy show, but he also gets to ask a question for the lightning round. And uh, that was the one about your first MA15 plus movie. God, that's a great question. I want to know mm. everyone's ever first MA15 plus movie. I think mine was The Crow when I was like five and like a bunch of kids hide it at like a family friends get together thing and I kind of went upstairs to kind of check it out and was just like what the fuck is this and freaked me the fuck out mm. which has probably put me on a path to wherever the fuck I am right now is probably because I saw the crow oh, far too young pretty easy to connect the dots <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it it was like I was a normal child and then I saw the crow like like five years old by accident and was just like nah I'm out cooked. <laughs> brain cooked forever <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a link to that below as well also we'll put some links up to milesbrown.com.au so go over there and check out that sweet website who has websites anymore like I was shocked when I saw how good mm. it was I was like man bears need to do websites again yeah you know yeah pay a web designer and like sort it out yeah it's good to get a little bit more yeah know? put it all in one place as well yeah so you can check out all that stuff hope you enjoyed the episode guys and uh, we'll see you very soon for the next one <laughs>